Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hi there and welcome. Thanks so much for joining us for this uh, special webinar, if you like, called uh, Embedding the Ethos of SM&CR, or the Senior Manager and Certification Regime. Now, I know we've got a real wide range of people on the line, and I see some people are still joining us. You're very welcome. Uh, the reason we decided to run this webinar is I know there's lots of information out there around the technicalities of the scheme, even if they are on 82-page documents from the FCA. Uh, however, one of the reasons that the FCA introduced this regime was because they wanted to embed an ethos of genuine responsibility. And that's why I think SM&CR is almost unique in the way it is bringing together HR professionals and compliance professionals, and they need to work in partnership to get the real value out of the regime. Clearly, you can go down a tick box compliance route, or you can use this as a genuine opportunity to drive the right behaviours in your organisation. And this is just a, a short webinar giving you some thoughts around this. You don't have to put them into practice, but uh, sometimes it's interesting to go at this from a different angle. Now, like I say, in terms, I will introduce myself. And my name is Lucinda Carney. I am a psychologist, but actually I'm more of an HR professional. So I've spent 15 years within corporate HR and 10 years within Actus uh, as part of Actus Comply and Actus Performance Management Software. The reason that this is relevant is that I am very much about culture and uh, delivering culture change, and I'm not an expert in compliance. And with that in mind, we've got my colleague, Ken Brotherton, on the line. I'm delighted from our partners, our strategic partners, ICSR. Great to hear from you. So Ken is going to sit quietly in the background. Okay, I suppose I'll start. I delivered these um, as a presentation not so long ago in terms of understanding how we might think that SM&CR might affect our firm's culture. And it's always interesting on a webinar trying to get a bit of interaction out of people. So be poised in case you've hopefully not fallen asleep already. What I wanted to know is how do you think SM&CR might affect your firm's culture? So you've got three options here. Do you think it's going to be little or no change? It's just another piece of legislation to manage in the background. Is it another set of tick boxes that people will moan about? Is it the case that you've got a number of senior managers who are actually quite nervous, so they're looking to HR or compliance to assist in providing assurance on their behalf? Or do you think this is a real opportunity to improve accountability and behaviours throughout the firm? So how I'm going to do this is you can actually select on your dashboards which one you want to go for. Say yes as I go through them and I'll see where people are going through. Okay, so if you want to go for number one, all right, no one's saying that that's the case. Number two, and I'll say you can vote more than once if you want. So for the benefit of our podcast, I've got two or three people saying that. So we've got about 20 other people on the line. Number three, SMFs are nervous and looking for assurance. Quite a lot of people are saying that that's the case. So you want to provide assurance to people. You want to give them confidence. And who sees this as an opportunity to provide accountability and behaviours throughout the firm? Okay, and lots of people there. So obviously some people voting twice. That's really good. 
So hopefully this, this will be relevant then if you want to see it as a way, it's almost a catalyst for improving accountability and behaviours throughout the firm. So we know from all the reading and what's been put out by the FCA that the FCA are looking for true responsibility and accountability that you can actually evidence. Um, this means that the processes that you're going to put in place, they need to be consistent and of a high enough quality. And obviously, they also want to see that you've got some sort of form of evidence of a control process in place. So it's not sufficient just to put things on a tick box on a spreadsheet once. You need to make sure that you've got an ongoing control process, but something that's going to last over time. I mean, I guess it could be something that's on paper. It doesn't have to be on a system, but it's very much about visibility of responsibilities tracking behaviours, and in many businesses that already have those processes, it might well fit into the performance management process. And this is where we do see the link with HR. And actually, you know, in terms of full disclosure, Actus is a performance management system. We work with many clients that um, in, who use it for performance management. And we, we actually were approached 18 months ago by an organisation, a pension firm, who wanted a performance management process and system and also a compliance system. And that's how actors came to be in the marketplace. So with the result, you can see that the two very much link together. If you think about the certification process um, or just certificate um, the conduct certification, then that is a very logical thing to integrate into a performance management process. If anyone has any questions as I go through, feel free just to type them into the comments boxes. We've actually muted everybody for now, um, but I'll lift the unlift the mute towards the end. So. Let's just think about performance management. Uh, if we were wondering whether your firm has got established performance management processes or less so in terms of things and what your readiness is. Again, maybe have a think, everyone's going to be in a slightly different position. So you may already have an established performance management process. If that is the case, then it could well be a good idea to start with that and integrate certification and conduct into your existing process. Now, if it's a once yearly appraisal process. I have some views as to whether or not you'd actually want to do it all at the same time. Um, and that's something to consider. And then equally, where are you in terms of your SMCR readiness? Have you done your mapping? Do you know the roles are sorted, etc.? Are you ready to go? Um, and therefore, you might be ready to get some sort of system in place to help manage it. So we take the view that you could link performance management and compliance within one cycle, rather than having two parallel cycles where you've got compliance having to drive the compliance cycle and HR driving the performance management cycle, wouldn't it be more efficient to pull them together? That's the principle that we're basing this on. And I believe that it is more efficient in many ways if you are able to integrate it. It's not always possible because sometimes you've got very established um, performance management systems, but if you haven't, then this could be an opportunity. Now, obviously, in terms of the SM and CR piece, we, we've got a visual up here for the podcast, uh, guys, that I'll put on the show notes. Uh, we're looking at this, this clock face is the best way of describing it, which basically says at the start of the year, you need to agree your responsibilities and objectives. Now, actually, in fairness, in December, you're going to agree responsibilities and those are going to stick with those people unless they leave the firm almost certainly. Um, and you're going to have to do that if new people come in. But if we say that December's the start, that's where you're going to make sure that people are aware of their responsibilities and they sign up to those responsibilities and accept them. Now, that's fine. That's a little bit, in my view, like understanding what your job description is and what your expectations are. Clearly, the stakes are much higher with SM&CR. But in terms of an HR process, they're really aligned. 
Then, of course, you need to have performance objectives. Now, clearly, we've all got performance objectives. We're in a firm to do a job. But if you've got a responsibility and you want to ensure that it's embedded throughout the firm, then why not consider putting it into the performance responsibilities, into your performance objectives, sorry. So this is the key, really. Um, Very often, compliance is going, right, you've accepted that responsibility, end of story. But if we're going to bring it to life, surely we should put it within our performance objectives so that it all links together. And also, now we know that those who are holding the senior management functions really are personally at risk. They could end up in jail if, um, you know, if there's a breach that they haven't managed properly. By integrating it into an established process and putting things into people's performance objectives more widely than those just at the top of the organisation is surely going to add more rigour and give you more confidence. So I then link into your regular performance management process where you should be having regular one-to-ones and part of a one-to-one would be overseeing any responsibilities that people have to ensure that they're adhering to those and any conduct behavioural um, incidents would be dealt with through that. Month three, we're saying you should be keeping your development up to date. Well, make sure people are tracking CPD. It's a great opportunity to remind them. And again, if you do your CPD at this point, it may well help you improve your performance behaviours in time for the end of the year. So it's going to align them with your responsibilities and your objectives. And it's more relevant than just saying, what training do I need to do? Or worse, what training do I have to do? We should then keep in track of our responsibilities. And then I'd say in month six, you know, mid-year is a great opportunity for you to possibly do your conduct and certification review. Now, you can choose a timetable as you wish. But what I'm suggesting is that you might have a mid and end of year review. But at one point in that review, you might choose to do conduct and certification. So it's effectively an appraisal, but you talk about behaviours which are related to the requirements dictated by the FCA. And then at the end of the year, you might focus more on performance. So your traditional performance objectives. So you're integrating it into that cycle. Month nine, we're suggesting, as usual, you talk about career aspirations. But again, you'd be taking into account whether people are meeting their responsibilities. Uh, Maybe they're going to be future SMFs. So it's just linking that whole piece together. And then the end of the year, is your more classic end of year appraisal. But if you need to certify certify at that point, then you absolutely can. And uh, you send the certificates off to the FCA. So all we're doing is suggesting one cycle where you integrate both processes. But ideally, what I believe really strongly is the biggest criticism about appraisal is it gets described as being a tick box exercise. You absolutely don't want that to happen. So if you introduce compliance as a tick box, that's just going to make things worse. I don't think you want to make every appraisal form twice as long by introducing tick boxes. But I would say you could integrate it into the same annual cycle at different points. So you achieve the same end and you make sure that the performance appraisal conversation is open. It's conversational, there's coaching and it's developmental and certification. It has the rigour that is required. So that's a proposed cycle that we'd um, think. And if anyone has got any questions or comments, please feel free to drop them down below. Now, I talked in some way about the aligning responsibilities and performance objectives. Just to make that point further, 
we would say that the ultimate responsibilities are still remaining at the top, but by aligning responsibilities to performance objects or cascading them, or if you have categories or a balanced scorecard, having a compliance version of of a category, then it really demonstrates the importance of these activities. So this is where your culture change is going to start. People, basically, they do what is measured. So if it's just a tick box, the responsibility at the start of the year or when someone joins, they'll just forget about it. If it's embedded into their performance objectives, they're far more likely to take it seriously. Obviously, if you align it to your performance management process, then you're going to have greater visibility and assurance and greater evidence of a control process should there be an issue. And it's embedding your responsibilities into business as usual. And that is the key to culture change. Conduct and certification. So I'm sure the five rules are very uh, familiar to most of you. So the uh, conduct rules here, you must act with integrity. Rule two, you must act with due skill, care and diligence. Rule three, you must be open and cooperative with the FCA, the PRA and other regulators. I think it's just FCA and solo regulated firms we've got on here. Rule Rule four, you must pay due regard to the interests of customers and treat them fairly. And rule five, you must observe proper standards of market conduct. Now, the challenge I think we've got with these is that you don't really have an option to say no because if you say no I'm not doing this then you can't certify that person and does that mean they're out of the job so that's my concern with a tick box is there's no room for development there's no room for growth you know actually in terms of customer focus that's quite a common one that you might see within a competency surely you want to make sure that people can improve their customer focus if this is going to make culture change So while I appreciate for the purposes of certification, you need to be able to answer yes to these. My view is if you take the ethos of performance management, you can improve the quality of it significantly by integrating these into behavioural discussions. So maybe even aligning them to a competency framework that you might have. Now, in terms of linking that, I already shown us the overall cycle in terms of how you might join that together. Um, but I've got an example. And again, those on the podcast can download it from the show notes. In terms of looking at this, you we've got an example where we've got the actual on the right hand side of the screen. We've got the five conduct uh, regulations that have been defined, the, the, the statements. We have then taken some behavioural statements about what that could look like, what good looks like. So integrity, I'll give you an example. What good looks like is is open and honest with customers and is careful to avoid misunderstanding, always prioritises the safety of customer money and data and says what they're going to do and does it. Uh, Things that is also got negative indicators, if you like, or behaviours you'd want to change. So behaviours you wouldn't want people to do is acts irresponsibility, sorry, acts irresponsibly with money and data misleads customers or overpromises under delivers. So this is really helpful, I think, because what we've done is we've put behavioural statements beside a competency title or a conduct title. Now we've got behaviours, it's possible to see whether people do this well or actually have some room for improvement. It doesn't take away from the fact that in actual fact, you are going to have to say, yes, you do it at the end of the year. However, if you choose a point within your performance management cycle to have a a developmental conversation about how well people do it, you're really going to embed these into your culture. So you can see actually on the left of the screen, 
that we've got some headings, which would be examples of competencies. And this particular firm has actually integrated those conduct items into what they do. So their top competency or value is called keep promises. And here's what this is about. Keeping promises is they say what they're going to do and does it, prioritizes the safety of customer money and data, is clear and honest with customers. Does it sound familiar? Absolutely, because it really lines up with the integrity um, conduct value. So all I'm suggesting here is that with a little bit of thought, you could align your existing values within your organization with the conduct behaviors or values and put those into an area of your performance appraisal process where there is room to talk about how well people do it. It needs to be at a different point in the cycle from when you have to tick and say that, yes, they are. But then you are going to introduce quality into that assessment. It means that when you say that, yes, this person acts with integrity, you can say it with integrity um, and, and know that people are doing the best they can, plus they are, being, they are improving themselves. So hopefully that's a useful example. I think it's something that perhaps you can think about in relation to your own organisations. So for me, the potential benefits of aligning these two processes are really about, first of all, visibility and better dissemination of the responsibilities to where it matters. That is going to genuinely reduce risk. The second point is it's going to increase awareness of what good and bad looks like around conduct risk. So that's going to give more space to challenge and turn around risky behaviours, but also actually develop people in the right way. And it's going to make a more meaningful and consistent performance and senior management and certification process. So you're reducing risk, but hopefully if you then put emphasis on that performance management cycle, so a point we might not have raised is that maybe your performance management cycle is a bit, yeah, it needs a bit of oomph. So you could argue that SMCR gives performance management teeth, but performance management gives SMCR soul. I'm not sure if that's a bit of an analogy I can get away with, but yeah, you know what I mean. So that concludes the points of our webinar. Hopefully that's been thought provoking at the very least. We like to keep our webinars quite punchy and, and short, but I'm really happy to open this up to questions. If you want to read this in more detail, we have got a white paper where I've expanded on this thinking and you're very welcome to download that from Actus. That's www.actus.co.uk. Just go to resources and you'll be able to find that. Remember, when we look up, we rise up. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.